you would remain standing just for one moment longer and open up to Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Colossians 2, verse 6. We've been going through this book over the past few weeks, and we'll be going through the entire book. Uh, So if you join us every Sunday, or if you listen to the podcast, you will have read the entire book of Colossians. But we're going to just focus in on this little passage here this morning. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. Verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, meaning Christ, who is head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You've been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. Amen. You can be seated at this time. May God bless the reading of his word. There's a lot packed into this passage, and so we're going to get into that this morning. But before we start, I just sort of want to introduce myself. If you're newer with us, my name is uh, James Yandel. I'm one of the pastors here at this church, and uh, I I grew up in the church, right? I I grew up in the church, and not just any church, but I literally grew up in this church. Circa 1990s, I was here in this church, and I I was probably what you would call, it's a technical term called a church brat, right? So I was a church brat. My parents came to church every single Sunday. They were Sunday school teachers, and so Sunday morning meant that you had to get your butt up and you had to go to church, right? There's no option, no if and buts about. You had to go to church. My parents made me go to church, but when you're a church brat and you go to church all the time, you kind of feel entitled a little bit, right? So I kind of felt entitled to the church, and so I can remember sitting in this very room back in maybe mid to late 90s, and I remember hanging out with my friends, and we would try to do everything that we could to try to get away from from the sermon. It's a little ironic now, I guess, because I'm preaching up here. But anyway, we, we would sit in the back, and what we try to do is we try to hide up on that balcony right there, right behind y'all. We try to climb up there and hide under the balcony while the preacher was preaching. Or we had this other trick where we'd go one by one to the back of the bathroom right here, and we'd just hang out in there and play Game Boy and just talk and stuff like that. That got shattered when my dad came in one time and just found us totally busted. Couldn't do that anymore, so don't do that. I know your tricks, right? So I grew up in the church, and uh, every year we would go on a mission trip. We had a pastor at the time who was very into missions, and he took us on a mission trip every year to Mexico. And so I went on this trip starting when I was maybe 9 or 10 years old. I was pretty young, and I started going on this trip. 
Uh, but I remember uh, one time in particular when I was about 12 years old, I, I went on this mission trip, and they had us doing all kinds of things. We would uh, do skits for the kids. We would uh, help the neighbors of the church. We would do all kinds of stuff. I remember I was in a lot of dramas, and they always typecasted me as the nerdy guy. I resented that. I don't feel like I'm that nerdy, but I always got typecasted as that. But I remember this year in particular, uh, we were sitting in this room, right? It, it's sort of a small church room, and uh, the pastor, our pastor was preaching preaching in the room. It's a small room, right? And it's packed. There are people from all around the neighborhood and they're in the room and people from our team are in the room and the pastor's preaching and it's hot, right? So it's like a hundred degrees. So it's a small, packed, hot room. All right, you get the picture, right? So I'm there and I'm about 12 years old and I'm sitting in this room and the pastor of our church is preaching, right? It's a simple sort of gospel message, nothing too complicated, and he's preaching. And uh, I, I don't know about you guys, but when you're sitting through maybe a sermon that's supposed to last around 30 minutes, what happens when you have a translator who's translating the sermon? It doubles in length, right? So a 30-minute sermon becomes a 60-minute sermon, and if the pastor's getting really into it, then a 40-minute sermon can go well over an hour. And this was one of those sermons, right? I remember sitting through the sermon at the very beginning, and I was bored out of my mind. I was bored out of my mind. I was looking, I was like drawing on pieces of paper, right? I was just sort of sitting there waiting for it to be over. And then toward the end of the sermon, I remember that he got sort of really serious and he started giving just a clear gospel presentation. This is who Jesus is and this is what he's done on the cross and this is what it means for your life. And I was bored the entire time, but I started listening in at that moment. And I remember my my heart started to stir a little bit. It started to get quick. I started listening a lot more. And then he quoted John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. And in that moment, I believed. I believed in this gospel, this thing that I had uh, just sort of gone to church and heard about and sort of knew in my head. It, It traveled down to my heart in that moment and I had a simple childlike faith. Man, I realized that I'd been going on these trips just to have fun. I didn't care about the people around me. I didn't care about the church. I was going for myself. And in that moment, I felt shame, but I also felt a peace. A peace that God was with me. A peace that God loved me and that he cared for me. This is what I felt in that moment. And then after that, right after that, the years that followed, I lived happily ever after, and I never had any other problems ever again, right? It's not how it works, right? So God did love me, and God had a a purpose for me, and he brought me from death to life in that moment, and I had joy and peace, and I was fearless and all that kind of stuff. But since then, in the 18 years since that has happened, I've had to learn how to adopt this faith into my normal life. I've had to figure out, what does my faith look like at work, and what does my faith look like in my personal life, and among my friends, and with my family, Over the next 18 years, I realized that the Christian life is basically war. That's the way that I see it. The Christian life is war. I didn't know then how many disappointments I was going to experience over the years to come. I didn't know then how many nights of doubting God and and, and praying night after night and not having him answer that prayer. And so that led to doubt in my mind. I didn't know that that was going to be ahead of me in that moment. I didn't know how difficult it would be to overcome certain sins in my life and just how certain parts of my old life would just hang on to me and grip on for dear life. I didn't know that I would still struggle with those things. 
I didn't know how many of my friends would begin to break away from me because I had started to follow Jesus. I didn't know then that that little simple faith that I had as a 12-year-old was kind of like this ship on the waves of life, right? And so life would begin to crash against me wave after wave after wave after wave. Things like unbelief and self-righteousness and worry and self-reliance, all these things began to, to cripple my faith and began to try to take my faith away from me. That little faith that I had gained in that small, hot room in Mexico. And I'm sure if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you may relate to that a little bit, that the Christian life is not very cozy sometimes, right? The Christian life is more like war than it is a simple, peaceful journey because life is a struggle. It's a struggle to keep your faith alive when you pray night after night and God doesn't answer your prayer. It's a struggle to trust God in the midst of whatever personal family crisis that you're going through. And I'm pretty sure that most of us are going through some sort of personal family crisis. I've been a pastor long enough to know that most of us don't skip into this room every Sunday all joyful, right? Most of us limp into the room a little bit. We've been battered by the week. It's been a rough week, and we come in here hoping that God has just some peace for us this morning. And if that's you this morning, what I want to do is I just want to talk very simply uh, about faith. That's what this morning is. It's not complicated. It's not high theology. It's a simple message that calls us back to faith in the God who loves us. So I'm going to talk about the importance of what it looks like to live by faith. I'm going to talk about some things that try to weaken your faith and my faith. And then I'm going to talk about how Jesus saves the day and rescues us and builds our faith up in this life. So that's sort of an overview of what we're going to do this morning. So I don't know if you need a faith boost this morning, but I feel like with everything that I've gone through personally, everything that the uh, Houston has gone through personally, everything that we've gone through as a church, and probably things that you've gone through in your life, this is a timely word for all of us. And so my only encouragement and challenge to you at the very beginning is just open up God's word and just believe it. Just believe that it's absolute truth. That it's God speaking into your life personally this morning. So with that in mind, let's open up to verses 6 and 7. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. So what Paul says is, just as you received Christ, so walk in him. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I'm sure you can think back to that moment, just like I can, of a, of a time in your life when you, met, when you thought, man, I believe in the gospel. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that he rose from the grave. And I'm sure that you can think of that moment in your life when it clicked for you. And that moment for you and that moment for me was the very same. The way that we received Jesus was by simple, childlike faith. Amen? And so what Paul is saying this morning is that just as you receive Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. So how do we receive Jesus as Lord? By faith. And how are we continue on in the Christian life? By faith. Faith is not something that you just believe in God with and then you leave that and go do something else. Faith is every part of the Christian life. When you believe in Jesus, you're born into a life that would be characterized by faith. 
You get started in the Christian life by faith, you continue on in the Christian life by faith, and you move on to the future by faith. It's from the beginning to the end. Our life is about faith. That in fact, Jesus designed your life, designed you for a life completely dependent on him. That's what faith means. From start to finish, we're under his influence. From start to finish, we live by his direction. From start to finish, we accomplish things through his help. And if I'm going to be honest, in our 21st century American mindset, faith gets a bad rap, right? I mean, faith is not very cool in our society. It's got an uncool flavor to it. But for me, to be a Christian, I think it just simply means to be honest. To be people of faith means that we're honest about our own limitations. Let me give you some examples. There are government authorities in our country and around the world that we have absolutely no control over. Does anyone have a lifeline to Kim Jong-un right now? That's who it is, right, in North Korea? None of us can influence what he does. None of us can influence what they do over there. We are powerless against what they're doing. We're powerless, really, against our own authorities in Washington, D.C. We vote for them, and they do different things, right? We have very little authority over them, little control over their life. Our bosses or our customers give assignments that we have to fulfill, right? And we can say, I don't want to do that, and say, guess what? I'm paying you to do that. You have to do that. We have very little control over that. My favorite example, every time I drive down 290, I put other peop- my life in other people's hands, right? There's this moment the other day, and this happens more often than I like to admit, but this moment when I'm like driving, and I look to the right, and the person's on their phone, and then I look to the left, and that person's on their phone, right? And so I wonder, who's watching the road right now, right? Am I watching for both of them? And so I put my life in their hands every time I get in a car. And then one of my favorite quotes and ideas, even the strongest man in this room lies down helpless every night, sleeps like a baby. Eight hours a night, you are powerless. Someone could come in, kill you, do whatever they want to do. You are powerless every night. I don't know about you, but I don't find Christianity a weak belief system. I see it as an honest belief system. That Christianity gives an honest assessment of how limited and frail we are. There's example after example where the Bible kills human pride and makes us realize just how totally helpless we are in comparison to God. Let me give you a few examples. The Bible says Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Thank you. God is the potter and we are the... God is the creator. We are the... God is the father and we are his... Jesus is the shepherd and we are the... What's our track record, right? Creation, sheep, clay... Um, children. This is what the Bible describes us as, right? And so the Bible is very honest about who we are. Jesus has designed your life to be completely dependent on him. So faith is not something I do once and then leave. Faith is an important and integral part of the Christian life. The Bible even says that we walk by faith and not by sight. It's, it's a characterized in our life. If you go back to verse 7, Paul says that your faith is either growing or it's shrinking. Your faith is either growing or shrinking. He says, be rooted, be built up, be established in your faith. That's an active verb. You need to be rooted in your faith, building it up and and, and building it up in Christ. Growing your faith and your dependency on God is about the most important thing that you can do in your life. Because remember when I talked about like when you believed in Jesus, your faith is like this little like tugboat in the water, right? And then life hits you and it's like life's got you on these waves and it's like taking you up there and it's just crashing it down. That's what it feels like for me. And our faith is constantly being rocked. 
And so the Bible says you need to watch out for your faith. You need to make sure you're steadfast. You need to grow it. You need to build it. Don't let that part of your life just sit to the side and shrivel and die. It says be connected to Jesus. He's the vine. You're the branch. What happens when a branch disconnects from the vine? Shrivels, right? Our vitality and our spiritual joy shrivels when we disconnect from Jesus Christ. A growing faith requires a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I've heard this uh, analogy, and it was like super weird analogy, but I just threw it in there because I thought it was pretty cool. So imagine you're in a really dark house, right? So you're in a dark house, and for some reason, this dark house only has one light in the entire house, all right? So no other room has a light bulb, only one room has a light bulb, right? And so you go in there, and you turn the light bulb on, and the light shines out in the room, right? It gives you light, it gives you warmth, and you can see things in that room. But guess what? You can't take that light bulb away from the room, right? There's no other lights in the house, And so the analogy, what it means is that if you're going to be connected to the light, if you're going to see in the light, you've got to stay close to the light. And that's what Paul is encouraging us to do this morning. Just as you received Christ, you need to be dependent on him in your everyday life, not just when you initially believed in the gospel. And for me, that's both the greatest joy in the Christian life and also the greatest struggle. It's the greatest joy because I don't know if you've been in a situation like me and it's just been so terrible and you've got something going on and you finally come to the end of yourself and you say, God, I can't handle this anymore. I trust you with it. I want you to do whatever you want to do with it. I know that you are good. I trust you with it. Is that not the most liberating thing that you can do in life, right? That is a super liberating prayer. And if you haven't prayed that prayer before, I encourage you to do it because it is super liberating. But being fully dependent on Jesus is also a challenge, right? Because I got things in my life and I got sins in my life that, man, I don't mind giving God some of my circumstances, but I got some sins I want to hang on to, right? I don't want to give God my sins. I want to hang on to these things and I want to use these as coping mechanisms. And so when Jesus comes to me in love and he says, hey, I want to take those things from you. I want to shine my light on my things, on those things. I sort of hold them real close, right? I don't want him to take those things. I I want him to take care of this part of my life, but I don't want to take care of this part of my life. I want to hang on to that. And so walking in dependence on Jesus can also be a very challenging thing in life. Jesus designed you for a life completely dependent on him. And can you guess, what is the most difficult part of that sentence? If you could pick one word, what's the most difficult word in that sentence? Completely. Man, you're a sharp crowd. I appreciate that. All right. Completely. That's the most difficult part of that sentence. It says, I said, Jesus designed you for a life completely dependent on him. That's what Jesus wants for us. But for some reason, in our brokenness and in our sin and in our humanity, we have areas of our life that we don't want to give over to God. And that's the challenge of the Christian faith. Look at verse 8. Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So what Paul is saying is that there are people out there, and there are teachings out there that tell us that Jesus is not enough. There are teachings out there that say that the simple gospel, the gospel that we sing about, is not good enough for our lives. That Jesus is good, but we need a little bit extra on the side as well. And so what Paul was arguing, we know exactly what was going on at the Colossian church. What Paul was arguing here is that all you need is Jesus. 
All you need is Jesus in life. And yet in this world, there are so many different narrative and so many different things that sort of distract us and sort of try to take our faith away from the one who saved us. So this morning, I'm just going to talk about one in particular, and that is self-reliance. This morning, I think if we're going to talk about something that, that affects every single one of us, that would be self-reliance. Because faith is reliance upon God, right? Total dependency upon God. And self-reliance is total dependency on who? Yourself. So this is the struggle that we all go through this morning. Paul says that things like self-reliance are empty deceit. They look powerful. It seems powerful. It seems like it gives you control over your life. But in reality, it's empty. It's a loss of control. And let me show you why. When you're operating in self-reliance, you begin to push yourself past your own limits. And this is something that I do all the time. I don't know if you're guilty of this. We're guilty of this in America. Many times we push ourselves past our own limits because we don't trust God. We're trusting in ourselves. We're operating in self-reliance when other people come up and look into our life and they care about us and they want to help us. And we say, I don't need your help. Right? I can do it on my own. We all fall into this sometimes. When you operate in self-reliance, you're not acting in control, but instead you're acting out of fear. Let me give you an example of this. Anyone heard of Mark Cuban before? You guys know Mark Cuban? He's on Shark Tank, one of my favorite shows. I reference it about every other sermon probably. Uh, But I love Shark Tank. But Mark Cuban is owner of the Dallas Mavericks, I think. So he owns a basketball team. I mean, none of us will probably ever own a basketball team in our life. But he owned a basketball team. And uh, he's a millionaire, probably billionaire entrepreneur, right? He's a really sharp, really self-reliant guy. And I found this quote on the internet that I believe comes from him, and uh, I believe is attributed to him, that I want to share with y'all. He says, work like there is someone working 24 hours a day to take it all from you. Work like there is someone working 24 hours a day to take it all from you. So what Mark Cuban is admitting in this moment, this billionaire investor, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, what Mark Cuban is admitting is that he lives and he works and he lives his life out of fear. That he lives his life out of fear that someone's going to take the things that he has away from him. That is the definition of self-reliance. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says that God will supply our every need. The Bible says do not be anxious or weary but instead to trust in God and know that he provides for you. So worry and stress and anxiety and and overwork and burnout are often symptoms in our life that we are relying on ourselves and not on God. And, And sometimes, and I know this is really hard, and I struggle with this as well, sometimes worry seems like a really noble thing, right? It seems like a very godly thing. I care about this so much that I'm worrying about it. And I think buried deep underneath that is a self-reliance that God calls us away from the darkness and into his light to trust him in all things. And if this is you this morning, you're not alone. And I'm just going to a very personal anecdote right now that I wasn't going to share, but I'm going to go ahead and share it. As I was preparing for this message last night at 2.30 a.m., um, I, I came to this realization that I had to not rely on myself, but instead I had to rely on God, right? Because self-reliance is this thing where it's like, I've got to get it perfect. I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to get it perfect. If I don't do it, it's not going to get done. And yet the Bible says that we can trust God. 
We work hard and we let him have the results. This is the essence of faith. So if that's you this morning, God calls you out of that stronghold. Self-reliance is a stronghold over our life. And a stronghold in any part of your life is a stronghold over all of your life. I've learned that the hard way. So if, if that's you this morning and you're struggling with the paradox of sort of trying to walk in faith, but you're also a little self-reliant, I think Jesus comes to the rescue. And that's what I want to spend just the rest of our time together going through these final verses. Because God, in his mercy, sent Jesus to rescue and protect us. Jesus came to destroy the beliefs and the attitudes and the habits that shift our dependence off of him. Look at verse 9 with me again. He says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. We're talking about Christ here. And you have been filled with him who is head of all rule and authority. So look at that first word. What does it say? For. Right? Four means because. Four means as a result of. So what Paul is going to try to do, he's going to try to say that you need to have faith in your life. That your life should be characterized by faith. And then he's going to say that there are things in your life like sin and self-reliance and other people out in the world trying to lead you away from Jesus. And they're trying to lead you away from your faith. To shrivel and shrink in your faith. And so what Paul is going to do here is he's going to give you an opportunity to build your faith up. So what we find in the Bible is that your faith is strengthened by the word of God being preached over you and by you receiving and believing it. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of Christ. So that's what Paul is going to do. He's going to give us several applications of what Jesus has done in our life to build our faith in him. That's what he's going to do this morning. So my main application is strengthen your faith by remembering Jesus' worth and work. Strengthen your faith by remembering Jesus' worth and work. So what Paul is going to do over these next few verses is he's going to say, you have accomplished nothing, but that's okay because Christ has accomplished everything, right? And if that's your worldview, then that's going to help you build faith in this life. So very quickly, we're going to go over these uh, really quickly, but my challenge and encouragement to you as we go through each one of these is to see if there's an area in your life, whether it's some sin, some worry, some aspect of your life that you are struggling with, and see if you can apply one of these verses to that area of your life. Think of these verses as a flashlight that will shine into the dark part of that part of your life. So let's go through them very quickly. Verse 9. For in him the fullness of deity dwells, and you have been filled with him who is head of all rule and authority. Jesus has all rule and authority. Amen? That's what the Bible says. Jesus has all rule and authority. You think you can apply that to any part of your life? Jesus has authority over your life, and Jesus has authority in the circumstances of your life. That's what Paul wants to remind you of this morning. Look at verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Uh, we have a pastor joke sometimes that we're, we think we're just always really lucky every time we get a verse that talks about circumcision because it's just really hard to talk about that in church. But basically what that means, back in the day, the Jews saw themselves as the people of God because of their cultural identity. Because of their physical identity, their physical traits. They say, we're people of God because we're, we look a certain way or we've done a certain thing. Therefore, God must bless us. And so what Paul is going to do right here is Paul is going to say that by Jesus' cross, what he has done is he has identified us as his own. 
God has identified us as his own people, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what he has done on the cross. And so for us Americans, especially, I mean, the Jews uh, back in the day were really relying on their cultural identity. Do you think Americans are relying on their cultural identity? Do we not rely on that so often? Like, we're, we're Americans. We deserve this, right? That's, that's what we fall into. And yet what Christ is coming in and saying is that your cultural identity is the fact that you are rooted in him, that he saved you, and that he is your Lord. All right, let's move on to verse 12. It says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the, from the dead. So what Paul is saying is that Jesus has raised you to new life. We're building a little repertoire here, right? Jesus has all authority over your life. Jesus has identified you as his people. And Jesus has raised you to a new life. It says, Jesus, by faith in the powerful working of God, he's raised you from the dead. Not in yourself, but in Christ. Not in your own strength, but in his strength. Paul wants to remind you and me of that this morning. Jesus has raised you to a new life. Then in verse 13, he goes on. He's not done yet. He's going to continue to make this argument of why you shouldn't be trusting in yourself. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, dead in your sins, separated from God, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he says, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses. So not only has Jesus raised you to a new life, Jesus has forgiven you of all your sins. How many of you need to be reminded of that this morning, that Jesus has forgiven us? That the weight of our guilt and the weight of our sin has been removed completely by the cross. You're not supposed to carry around that baggage with you in this life. Verse 14, it says, He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus raised you to new life. He forgave you of all your sins. He canceled your record of debt. You don't have a debt with God. You don't have to work hard in this life to try to even the odds with God. But instead, by the cross, he has evened the odds. He's nailed our debt to the cross. Lastly, verse 15. He said he disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus is victorious over your demons. Jesus is victorious over the things in your life that cause you to fall away from him. Jesus is victorious over your addictions. Jesus is victorious over your pet sin or whatever it is in your life. He is victorious over these things. So I want you to take a moment, and I want you just to look at this right here. These are faith-strengthening truths, right? What's the first word in each of these sentences? Jesus, right? Jesus has all authority. Jesus has identified you as his own. Jesus has raised you to new life. Jesus has forgiven all your sins. Jesus has canceled your debt. Jesus has defeated your demons. Every area of your life that you begin with the word Jesus is going to flourish, is going to have vitality, is going to grow. In every area of your life that begins with I or me is going to shrivel and is going to shrink and is going to walk in darkness. That's what Paul is telling us this morning. That every area of our life that we submit to him grows and flourishes. And every area that we don't shrivels and weakens. That's the truth for us this morning. So as we draw to a close this morning, I just want to spend a moment for each and every one of us to take a moment of reflection. 
And I sort of want you to take stock of maybe your past week or maybe uh, this past month or this past year. And I want you to think about, are there any areas of your life that you need to give over to Jesus this morning? Very simple message, very simple call. Are there any areas of your life that you need to surrender in faith to Jesus this morning? The Bible says that sin and the different things of our life take us captive. They take us captive and they cause us to to walk away from Christ. I want to share one more verse with you this morning, and I think it was an amazing verse. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. He's talking to you, Christian. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So what Paul is saying here is that there are things that take us captive in life, but we, by the power of God, can turn the tables and take those things captive by faith in Jesus. It's not an easy road, but it's a path that Jesus has given us. So wherever you're at this morning, I encourage you, there's probably an area of your life that you need to surrender to him. You can trust him, right? If you trust God with your salvation, you can trust him with your life, right? That sort of makes sense. You can trust God with the different areas of your life. We trust Jesus for our salvation, and we can trust Jesus with every part of our life. So I want to pray over you at this time, just a very pastoral moment. I just want to pray that God would build your faith. I want to pray that God would speak truth into your life. I want to pray that sin would all of a sudden look very weak to you and not as powerful and deceptive as it seems. Most of all, I just want to pray that each and every person in this room recognizes that they need Jesus, they need Jesus every single day and not just 18 years ago. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Life is rough. And yet you called us to walk in faith in the midst of storms, in the midst of trial. You've called us to not rely on ourselves or in our own power, but to trust you. A simple, childlike trust. So Father, I repent of the fact of just how complicated I seem to have made the Christian life in many ways. And I remember back to that moment and that hot, stuffy room in Mexico and just how I had the simple faith of what you've done for me on the cross. So I pray the same thing for these people, Lord. That we would have a powerful and strong and and, 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 uh, just a very lively faith, Lord. That we would have a courageous faith. I pray against the things that cause us to turn our eyes away from you. Sin or self-reliance or or all the other things that the Lord tries to, uh, the world tries to glitter in front of us. And I just pray that we'd be called back to a simple faith in your simple gospel. We love you, Lord. Be with us this week. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen.